Welcome to Know His Love Stories, where we listen to the voice of the Father through his children. Today's story comes to us from Jesse. He's originally from East Lansing, Michigan, and he's currently studying at Franciscan University of Steubenville with a double major in theology and catechetics. He's also working on his master's degree in theology and Christian ministry. He works at the Catechetical Institute through the university, which aims at forming those who form others. He started his own ministry, called to be broken, with the goal of helping every single person come to know their true identity as a child of God who is deeply loved. You can find his work through podcasts, blogs, as well as his social media presence at calledtobebroken.com and on Instagram at calledtobebroken. This is a Know His Love story. Yeah, so I was born <clears throat> into a Catholic family. Um, we went to Mass every weekend, and I went to a Catholic school. And so it was kind of the culture of my family um, that we were Catholic. And so it was just a way of life. It was always something that was important to me. Um, but in third grade, I stumbled upon pornography, and I had no idea that it was wrong. There was something in me that told me, something's not quite right here, but it was, it wasn't enough for me to, you know, go to my parents. And so that became a, a very long, long battle, a long struggle um, that, you know, went on for a while until I didn't really know it was wrong until my freshman year of high school. So throughout those years, um, those about six years, I knew intellectually that God loved me. I knew that intellectually the faith was important, but in my heart, I had come to associate myself with those sins. I had lost this sense of identity in a way. And I started to see other people, not as people to be loved, but objects to be used, which is a very common result of, exposure to pornography. And it was once I, you know, found out, okay, this is a, this is a big deal. This is a mortal sin that I realized, oh, like something, like I need to change this because once you know that you can no longer claim ignorance. And so as I started kind of realizing, oh, this is, this isn't good. I need to, I need to, you know, work on stopping it. That's when I noticed how deep I was. Um, and that was after my, uh, my kind of big moment with the Lord. But I was just in this place before I knew that it was that serious where I just knew there was something off inside. I knew that I was doing things I shouldn't. And I knew that it was what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't know how wrong it was. And so I was kind of on this path of, of darkness and I was seeking to be popular uh, my goals in life would have, you know, an attractive girlfriend, a sweet car, a giant house, a ton of money. Uh, but there was something inside of me that realized there's, there's more, but it was just so deep down. Um, and I just felt very lost. And I had a really hard time building friendships. Um, a big part of that was I have ADHD. And so when I was younger, it was very difficult to build friendships. But on top of that was the fact that I was no longer seeing people as people. I was seeing people as objects to be used. And it wasn't that I just, I couldn't understand that there was another person in front of me. I would, I could tell you that killing somebody was wrong, 
I can tell you that the things that I was watching is wrong, but I wasn't able to, you know, fully understand that because my brain had just kind of started to become wired in this way. And so it was very chaotic. Um, there was this inner tension in my heart and it was hard for those around me because I started acting out, um, you know, getting in trouble at school, um, getting in fights. And I was just becoming an unpleasant person to be around. And I didn't know why, um, because again, I didn't really understand the gravity of what was going on. And so it was very chaotic and challenging for me because everything that I did, no matter how good I wanted to be, no matter how much I wanted to do the right thing, I always kind of found myself getting in trouble. And so it was very hard. And I think I started to take on some of those, you know, wrongdoings as almost an identity because I had lost my identity and I was looking for it. And the common denominator was I got in trouble every so often. So maybe I'm just not a good guy. You know, maybe I'm just somebody who causes trouble. And it was very hard um, because when you start to see yourself like that, you don't want anybody else to come in. You don't want to let anybody else see that because if somebody else sees that, that's scary. Because if I, I thought, oh, I, maybe I'm just a bad guy. And so I really was kind of closing myself off to those around me and especially to the Lord. Um, and, and it was just, it really damaged my relationship with him because I wasn't able to see him as a loving father. Uh, I was afraid. And I was afraid of him knowing me, others knowing me fully. I knew that I was loved at home. I knew that my parents knew me, but they didn't know everything. So how could they love me completely? And that that's kind of what was going on in my mind. And it was, it, it was very challenging for me. Yeah, so it was at the end of my eighth grade year, um, I went to our parish school uh, at the time. The, he was the intern for the youth minister. He came into our religion class and talked about Steubenville conferences. And our class talked the whole time he talked. Uh, we were super disrespectful. Everybody was giggling. Oh, did you say Steubenville? Ha ha. You know, and um, we just weren't really paying attention. But there was something in that 40, 45 minutes that struck me to the core. And he was talking about the joy that people had. He was, a lot of the stuff he was saying kind of resonated with me because I felt like I was in a similar position that he had been in. And he was talking about this excitement, this, this joy that people had. And it, I think deep down what was happening, the Holy Spirit was moving in my heart and pointing to those areas of my heart where I wanted joy. I wanted a fuller life. And I think looking back on it, it was the Holy Spirit pointing at those areas and seeing that this is what you, this is what you're longing for. This is going to lead to the fulfillment of those desires. And I had no idea what that meant. I, I, I was, I was shocked that, you know, I wanted to go, but I did. And so I went home and I asked my parents like, Hey, have you heard of these conferences? And my mom had been at that point, I think teaching Bible studies at our parish for about nine or 10 years. And so she had heard of Franciscan and she was astounded. And so it was my dad just, he wants to go to this thing. And, uh, you know, they were like, you're not really going to know people. And again, I had a hard time making friends. I had a hard time, you know, interacting with people I didn't know very well. And so they were, you know, reminding me, you know, I wouldn't really know many people. 
but not not in a way trying to prevent me, but in a way of you know looking out for me and loving me, and making sure that it didn't become something I resented because I had a miserable experience. And I, I told them no, like I really do want to go, and they were fully supportive. Um, and so we went, and I had a great time. You know, starting with the bus ride, as uncomfortable and awkward as those conversations are when you show up, you're still not sure of who you are. It was right after eighth grade, and I just you know, I was enjoying it and it was, I was having fun and we get there. And on Saturday during the day after mass, they had a brief time of Eucharistic adoration and tears just started rolling down my face. And I was so confused. I was like, I'm not mad. I'm not sad. I'm actually doing pretty well. This might be the best I've done in like five years. I'm doing great. Why am I crying? That doesn't really add up. And so I texted my mom, like, have you ever, cried in front of the blessed sacrament and she told me after the fact that her and my dad were doing yard work and she got that text and she kind of looked at my dad and was like what did they do to our son jokingly of course and um yeah that was the start of something really big and that was only the second time that i had really you know prayed in an earnest fashion one in the lord because a few months prior there was a retreat uh, through the middle school, the students at Michigan State University and the Catholic, you know, par- a student parish would come do retreats. And one of the challenges was for five minutes for seven days before bed. Just kneel down in front of your bre- bed and ask the Lord to be with you, to show you that he was real. And I started doing that. And that was the first time I kind of, you know, felt that presence of God. And it felt good. Not in a, like I wanted to be a junkie of this good feeling way, but just uh, like I was okay where I was, you know, satisfying way. And so then I, I felt it again there. And then Saturday night came and the big thing for Steubenville conferences is usually the Saturday night adoration, a time of adoring our Lord and being able to sit in front of him. And they usually process around uh, the field house. And <laughs> I remember being in that time after, you know, the day and the half that we had already been there, starting to kind of open up to the movements of the Holy Spirit, open up to the Lord a bit more. And I remember being there and just looking at the monstrance and seeing love that was greater than I had ever imagined, love that, that was greater than anything I could think up. And at home, I knew that I was loved and I knew that my parents saw me and knew me and they're, they're such amazing parents, but I didn't share everything with them. They didn't know that I was struggling with a pornography addiction. I didn't really know I was struggling with a pornography addiction. I didn't know it was that bad, but there was, I was dying inside. I was losing so much of my childhood. I was losing so much joy and I felt enslaved. And uh, the MC for the weekend before adoration said, you know, you can stand like stand up if you want to give your life to the Lord. And I stood up and I didn't really know what that would mean. I didn't know what it meant, you know, for me long term, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And as they processed around, um, they were having us reflect on the story of the hemorrhaging woman who, you know, said to herself, if I could just touch the cloak of Jesus Christ, I would be healed. Just a touch. And the priest had walked us through that. 
And as the monstrance came around, <laughs> I remember just looking up at the monstrance, looking at the Eucharist. And somebody saw me in my fullness. Somebody saw all of the sin that I had ever committed, that I was going to commit as soon as I got home, that I would commit until my death. There was somebody who knew me better than I knew myself, better than my parents knew me. There was somebody who saw absolutely everything from before I was born, the moment that I was conceived to the moment that I died for all of eternity. He saw me, he knew me. And despite all of that, despite knowing everything I would do, despite seeing all of the times I would say no to him, despite all of the times I would hurt other people, he looked at me and he said, you are beautiful and you are loved. And it was just this encounter with that love that was absolutely transforming, that somebody saw it all and still wanted me. And it was absolutely life-changing because I no longer feared God for what he would do to me if he knew, because he already knew. And I already knew what he was going to do when he knew, because he was already doing it. He was loving me into existence. He was giving me a family who could provide for me and parents who cared about me. He was putting people into my life to lead me toward him because he had something greater for me than a life of sin, than a life of just turmoil in my heart than a life of feeling left out, lost, dead, and broken. He had something more. And it was in that moment that I was able to see him as a loving father. And it wasn't an immediate switch. It's been a long journey, but it was in that moment that I was able to see God for who he really was. I was able to start, I was able to now see others more fully for who they were, to see other people as, oh, this person is struggling with something and I can't see it because I've been struggling with this for, what, six years at that point? Nobody knew about it but me. And so if I was in that situation, other people have to be in that situation too. And I finally didn't feel alone. After five or six years of feeling like I was the only one, after feeling like I couldn't be loved, after living in a fear of God, not in a good way, I finally didn't feel alone. I finally saw that I was loved and I started to see myself for what I really was, which wasn't my sin, which wasn't my struggle. It was that I was a son. It was that I was loved. Not only that I could be loved, but that indeed I was loved. And that there's nothing that could stop that love because I had done everything possible that could, you know, that I thought I could do to stop it. And it wasn't stopping. That love was not even slowing down. In fact, it seemed to be picking up its pace. He seemed to be running after me all the faster. And it was just this intense encounter of, wow, somebody can see me and know me fully and still love me. The fact that I'm able to recognize that I'm a beloved son, that that love didn't stop when I sinned again after I got home. It wasn't like I hear, I've forgiven your debt, but if you do it again, I'm taking that love away. It's, it's this unconditional love that I think can be really hard for people in high school to understand 
but I think it's something that parents are able to experience in a deeper way because they, they experience, oh, I love my child, but God loves us infinitely more. And so being able to, you know, realize that and to almost take it on as my own, because before the faith was, you know, it was a family thing. But it was, you know, in that moment of adoration that I decided to claim the faith as my own. And I think that was the beginning of this process to, you know, take, I already, I already, you know, had taken claim to my sonship uh, of the Heavenly Father. But now I was able to, you know, declare it and announce it. And it was like this great revelation of finding something that you never knew you had. Like if you're, you're cleaning out your attic and you're cleaning out all the crap and all the cobwebs and all the skeletons and you find this magnificent box of treasure that's priceless. And, and you find it and you realize this isn't somebody else's. I don't have to, you know, try to hide it so nobody takes it. I don't have to, you know, try to sell it so I get the money and never lose. It's mine. It's got my name on it because it's mine and nobody can take it from me and I can't even lose it. And it, it's this beautiful concept of no matter how far I run, no matter how many times I've fallen to sin, no matter how many times I turn away from the Lord, I'm still his son. And there's a song, uh, I believe it's called Say That You Love Me. And it talks about how one of the lyrics says, even as you hold me as I cry on the floor, I still don't know how to be yours. And it talks about how the father tells us he loves us and our response is, no, like, don't say that. Don't say that because I don't know how to be yours. I don't want to hear that because I know I don't know how to be yours. But once you kind of you know, for at least for me coming to know in a deeper way that I am a beloved son. It's not about me making, you know, making an effort to know that I'm his or know how to be his. It allows me to see him as a beloved father who teaches me how to be his. And that is a great gift. And it was very relieving for me to come to know I don't have to do it on my own. I have somebody who can teach me, the one who created me, the one who knows how I can best love him is my father. And what father doesn't desire to give good gifts. We all have fathers that fall short in life, but every good father and even bad fathers know how to give good gifts. So the model of all fatherhood is gonna be, be able to do that all the better. And it was just this very profound realization. I don't really know when it happened, but that I realized, oh, I'm a son. And it's allowed me to come into that more fully and to see that my identity isn't my sin. My identity isn't my accomplishments. My identity is my sonship and nobody can take that from me. I think the biggest thing, especially in the past year for me has been the Eucharist. Um, and growing up, again, we went to Mass every week, but it was very much, this is just something we do. But it was, you know, that encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist, that doesn't just happen if it's a piece of bread. That happens with the living body of Christ. And that encounter and adoration and in daily Mass has been huge for me because it, it really allows us to, you know, 
really take on the prayer of the Our Father in a more, almost a more literal, literal way of when we receive the Eucharist daily, whether it's by sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament, in front of the tabernacle, or by truly receiving in the Mass, the Eucharist, we are receiving that daily bread. And we pray, give us our daily bread. And that's us receiving it. And we get to, you know, in a more tangible way and experience that reception. And that has been huge for me because I'm a very tangible person. I, I like, you know, to see things. I like to be able to, you know, you know, feel that something is there. And so that can be hard um, with the Lord sometimes. But the Eucharist is a constant reminder that he has physically proven his love for us and in, in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we get to encounter in the Eucharist. And, and I guess kind of flowing um, from the life of Jesus, um, the other biggest way that the, the Lord, um, that our, our Father in heaven shows me his love is through the mother of Jesus and the foster father of Jesus. Um, I've really, you know, kind of made an effort to dive deeper into my relationship with the blessed mother and St. Joseph. And man, it's been, it's been so wonderful because the father understands that sometimes it's really hard to, you know, understand and comprehend, you know, the concept of God, the father that person of the Trinity that can be hard to understand, especially when somebody has had a bad experience with a father figure in their life, or even with uh, a bad experience with a mother figure in their life, Mary is a great source of healing and she always points to Jesus. And so looking to them as models of what it means um, for somebody to live out authentic femininity and authentic masculinity in a, a time of, uh, our world that both of those things are heavily under attack, um, which is very prevalent in pornography. It's been very healing for me and, and a great gift to me from the father of Mary and Joseph to be a model of what it means to be holy men and women who are truly after the heart of the father, who are truly caring for Jesus, because that's what we, you know, we ought to care for Jesus and all that we do. And they're a perfect example of they did it. I can't imagine trying to raise the son of God to, to raise, Oh, uh, I, I now have to be the father of God who has decided to come as a baby. Uh Oh, <laughs> like how do I do parents already have a hard time with a normal baby. Imagine like being Joseph and it just gives me great comfort, uh, especially as a man um, to see that God has not only given him given me himself as God, the father, but he's also given me Joseph in heaven um, as a spiritual father who I can look to um, and, and, you know, really be guided by him in the ways of a man who is not both human and divine, you know, like Jesus was, but a man who was merely a human, but a human who was fueled by the grace of God to do amazing things, a very humble man. Um, and so I think, yeah, the second, the second ones would be uh, Mary and Joseph. I know that it can feel really dark. I know that the light at the end of the tunnel 
can be almost invisible at times. I know how hopeless it can feel sometimes that even when you keep trying, you keep getting up and you keep falling and you don't know why and you just want to give up and you feel like it's not worth it anymore. You feel like it doesn't matter what you do because you feel like you've tried everything and nothing's working. How could anybody love me at this point? I'm a lost cause. I know what that feels like. I know how dark that can feel. I know how sad and empty that is. I know what that feels like. But I promise you that if you keep fighting, I promise you that if you keep going to the Father, if you keep going to Jesus Christ, and if you keep calling upon the Holy Spirit to give you the grace and the mercy that you need, he will not ignore you. It might not happen when you want it to happen. It might not be in the fashion that you want it to be. It may take years. It may take seconds, but if you keep fighting, if you can hold on just a little bit longer, if you can just fight tooth and nail and give it your all, I promise you, one, that it's worth it, two, that God answers those prayers, and three, that the number of times you have to get back up because you fell does not change how much you are loved no matter how unworthy you feel, no matter how much you're doubting that fact, no matter how crazy you think I am, because you're thinking right now, oh, you don't know what I've done, Jesse. You have no idea. Wrong. (laughs) I may not know your exact situation, but we can look to the saints. We can look to Mary Magdalene, who in scripture we're told had, I believe it was seven demons, cast out and saw Jesus resurrected Jesus's resurrected body first she was the first one he decided to reveal himself to Saint Augustine living a promiscuous life involved in the occult and astrology involved in a life of sin even saying Lord give me I believe it was give me purity but not yet And he not only made him a holy man, he made him a doctor of the church, one of 33 doctors of the church. St. Paul killed, murdered, martyred tons and tons of Christians. And his writings comprise a huge chunk of the New Testament. The impact that he had on so many people's lives, bringing people to Jesus. And one of my personal patrons, Peter, the one that Jesus called and he said, no, Lord, depart from me for I am a sinful man, which I think we all want to say that because we don't think we're worthy. And Jesus didn't tell him, oh, yeah, you're right. Get lost. Jesus called him. He knew he knew that. And he knew that Jesus was going to deny him before he was crucified. And he told Peter that. And Peter said, never, that's not happening. And it did. But those are all examples of people who, yeah, they messed up. They made mistakes. They fell into sin. And they fell into some pretty bad sins. But the difference between them and Judas, who fell into grave sin, was they repented. They got back up. They went to Jesus. They went to God the Father, and they called upon the Holy Spirit to give them what they needed to keep on going. And I promise you that if you earnestly pray, from the bottom of your heart, asking the Lord to send people into your life to show you the light, to 
give you the grace that you need to keep going. He answers those prayers, but it may mean that you have to give up things that you don't want to give up. But I promise you that it is worth it. And I promise you that there is no greater love than the love that knows you fully, that sees you fully. And despite all of that, still loves you fully. Thank you for listening to Jesse's story. I would love to share your story as well. Please connect with us on social media or by clicking on the join us link at knowhis.love.